senorita Really nice to meet ya Have some tequila and stay this week on Squats and Margaritas, it's number one New York Times bestselling author, international speaker, and spirit junkie, Gabby Bernstein. I'm a little excited. <laughs> I spoke uh, with her in Nashville, and after she did her talk, um, I shot my shot, and I asked her to do Squats and Margaritas. It's happening today. Um, I want to share with you all of the things that she has taught me. So in the short time that I have her, I'm going to go over some things that I found so life-changing and bring those profound things that she taught me to you listening. Please do me a favor and hit subscribe, whatever platform you're listening to this on. It helps me so much. And you'll get an alert every time a new Squats and Margaritas episode drops. Here's my episode with Gabby Bernstein. Hi. Hi, babe. How you doing? First of all, because we have our boys, thank you for doing that episode with uh, Dr. Becky. I just listened to it. <laughs> so good, right? So good. She actually did my show last year. I don't have her on speed dial, but that tantrum and putting them in a smaller space, never have attempted that. And it completely works. She also gave me two other things. Um, the one, like when they're freaking out and you can't get them to like get dressed for school or come to the bath. She's like, you say, and it works every freaking time. Do you want to race to the bath or do you want me to zoom you like an airplane? And yeah. um, he can't resist. He's like airplane yeah. he immediately. I actually Dr. didn't Becky. know that one. Thank it's you for that. Good one. You have taught me so many things and I have actually been praying about like, what can I use this short time that I have you for? We could deep dive into something or we could touch on the things that you've taught me. And I think that's what I want to do. Like the most profound yeah. things that I've learned from you to bring to somebody that's listening that they should hear. And it's that. basically moms, um, young kids trying to find themselves feeling less than fulfilled. Um, and you, your judgment detox and happy days I think are the most like profound books that I've ever read. And if anybody's not familiar with you, <laughs> I wanted to bring out the things that I learned from you and have you kind of talk through those things, um, hopefully, so it can get to someone that's listening and needs to hear it. I love it. I have to also say, after reading your books and then you say it in happy days, it's like, I'm giving you all this knowledge and you're going to want to like start diagnosing people. And it's exactly what I was doing. Like, yeah, don't do it. My husband gets pissed and I'm like, just because you have trauma with a little T that you haven't acknowledged. Like, and then I'm like, nope, nope, <laughs> don't diagnose people. I want to start with shame and what it's doing to our life and how we'll do anything to avoid it. Yeah. It's hard to talk about shame without saying the T word trauma. So yeah. here's, let's start here. We all have trauma period, yeah. end of story, big T trauma. I share about that in the book of remem remembering being sexually abused as a child, small T trauma. I talk about in the book of like my, the kid I liked in sixth grade telling me I'm stupid. Yep. So we all have experienced traumatic events in our life that ignited a feeling of shame, a feeling of I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm inadequate. I'm wrong. That shame is so impermissible for us, that we build up a tremendous amount of protective mechanisms to never have to face that shame again. Protector mechanisms, I often refer to as protector parts. Yeah, This is just referencing internal family systems therapy. So these protector mechanisms are the parts of us that become addicted, the parts of us that run, that control, that avoid, that 
that rage, the parts of us that are uh, alcoholic, cocaine addict, food addicted, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. We have these parts of us protecting us from ever having to feel that shame. And we have a lot of responses to that shame. So one is to, we feel the shame and it's too, it's too impermissible. So we attack back, we Mm -hmm. attack others or the shame is so unbearable that we attack ourselves. For me, I'm like my, my, my through line was like, I'm a piece of shit. That was my mantra. I'm a piece Mm -hmm. of shit. I'm a piece of shit. The shame is so impermissible that we put it into a box and just deny it. Us dissociate from it, right? In my case, literally, I dissociated from it so much that I didn't remember it until I was 36. Yeah. Or we say things like, so that happened to me, but this thing was way worse for so-and-so. Yeah. Or, you know, I didn't have it that bad. Bullshit. We all had it bad yeah. in our own unique ways. And so these different responses to shame are just a sure sign that this feeling is one, so terrifying, so uh, there's so much stigma around it. Mm-hmm. And at the root of it all is this belief that we are unlovable and inadequate, as my therapist taught me many years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's so impermissible, and I write about this in Happy Days, that we may not even realize we have shame. I didn't recognize my shame until I was 36 years old. I was wow. t- leading a workshop and I was sitting in on the other teacher teaching she tells this, leads this whole workshop on shame and we're workshopping. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll workshop with somebody in the audience. I'm the teacher. I'm good. And I was like, holy (laughs) shit, I have shame. (laughs) That's what's so fun. So the only difference, like I was, I was very shameful about something that I knew about and it was like, I'm past it. So I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Thank God. Nobody found out about that. And it was 10 years. I was bulimic. Like I was throwing up my food for 10 years got a hold of it and then found this lifestyle of balance that I live now. And I was like, I need to write a book because I struggled for 20 years and I was under eating and restricting and all these things. And I can help women. And I got a writing coach and she's like, who would listen to you? She's like, are you a nutritionist? Are you a trainer? And I'm like, no, but you know, I've, I've done the work. I've been through some things. And she's like, you don't have any credibility. Like if there, it has been a journey you need to tell it and you need to say it. And I was Uh. like, no, no, no. Like, I didn't want anybody to know. I mean, I was homecoming queen. I was prom queen. I had this like reputation. I didn't want anybody to know like what was really going on. And she kept pushing me. And I told you this, um, we spoke at that event in Nashville and I didn't really get into it because I hadn't spoken yet, but I was like, your words, that giving a voice to your shame is the first step to releasing its grip is exactly what happened. Like I wrote it. And she hadn't even read it yet. Like I didn't even send it back to my editor and I immediately felt lighter and it didn't matter that I wasn't doing it anymore. I had never acknowledged it. It was just mm-hmm. like, Oh, thank God. Nobody found out about that. And it mm-hmm. was so shameful. I mean, I was throwing up my food. It was so much shame and I shared it. I wrote it. I sent it to her. She calls me and she's like, this is your book. She's like, it's, it, you can help women, but like this. And I was like, I felt it, it was out and I felt lighter. And there's another thing that you said in happy days, shift the shame from your past by speaking your truth in the present. Yeah. And it's, you can think you have outgrown it and all that. Yeah. I used to do that 20 years ago. If you've never acknowledged it to the universe, you're still carrying it. And I released it. And I, like, I do interviews about the book and and I was like, it's just weird. It was like, as soon as I wrote it and then you gave me the words (laughs) in happy days, you acknowledge it and you release that grip. 
as much as you don't think it has a grip, you still are carrying that. And I still had shame about it. So that was like, the only difference was I knew it. Like you had to uncover yours. I was like purposely (laughs) keeping it under wraps. And I have just felt now I feel like I share everything because it's like the big one is out and I acknowledged it and I'm done. Like, it's just, I, I released its grip and it's shame that keeps you from doing it. And happy days, like you sharing that. And like the more people share stories like that and inspire someone to just say it, release, write it. You just taught me rage the page. Yeah. <laughs> and giving voice to the impermissible is really yes. what this is about. giving voice to the impermissible parts of ourselves. Yeah. I think everybody is, has the thing. It's like, what is the thing for me? It was my bulimia um, for you. Like what happened in your childhood? There's something that you're still holding on to. And it's like, if you just acknowledge the thing, it no longer has a grip and you can move on to the next thing. Um, but again, it brings me to the next thing I want to talk about why we have so much shame stems from judgment. And I wanted you to talk on why we judge. You said gossip is like getting high on someone else's pain. And it's basically like a little break from judging ourselves and feeling some way about ourselves. We judge others. I want you to send me all my quotes that you love because you're yeah. saying the best ones. <laughs> Can you please? Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, it was so good. Um, gossip yeah. is getting high on someone else's pain. Oh my God. I can't yep. remember writing that. Yep. All right. Judgment detox. Uh, well, I'm actually really impressed with you because you've gone through judgment detox. That's such a big book. Yeah. And it's a real testament to your commitment to yourself. So Thank congratulations you. on that. I appreciate and it. Much like I said before about the shame responses, judgment is a shame response. So if we feel attacked or we feel shamed, our initial response would be to attack back or blame and shame others because yep. we cannot face that feeling. So one of the ways out is to say, no, 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 you, you, mm-hmm. you, 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 you. But then that becomes that judgment cycle of, well, now I'm a piece of shit because I judged my judge them. And so now I'm going to judge myself more. And it just goes into this cycle of judgment. Mm-hmm. Recognizing that, that cycle is a huge step. Recognizing the moments when you're like, oh my God, that's actually my stuff, not their stuff. Yep. <laughs> you say it's a disowned part of yourself. It's a disowned part of our own Like shadow. our dark stuff. It's like it, you recognize it in other people and you're like, you, not me. That's right. Okay. That's right. And we don't go there because our ego blocks us from recovering. And our ego, which I feel like everybody deals with, is the part that's like the unknowing. We have, we have all of these exiled parts of who we are and they're the parts of us that were shamed and they're child parts that were shamed and, and traumatized and put into a corner. And we've built up all these different protection mechanisms, protector parts to, to never have to feel that way. The yep. part of us that judges others, the part of us that judges ourselves, the part of us that blames and shames and drinks and all the things that we do to get out of that feeling of that shame. Yep. So really be gentle with yourself and just start to notice the patterns. And that's really what happy days does in the beginning of happy days. It's really about noticing what you notice, being really comfortable with what you notice and starting to be compassionate and curious towards yourself. And that gives you some freedom to begin the journey of undoing the trauma. That makes me think too, like the compassionate with yourself, like all those parts that you were annoyed with, like they were doing their job. (laughs) They were there in that moment to protect you at that time. And that's exactly what they're supposed to do. So it's like, if you look at it that way and know that it was just protecting you from something that you hadn't really. Yeah. You can actually look at those parts of yourself that were so extreme and say, thank you. 
Yeah. I can often, I can now look back at the part of me that was in a cocaine addict in my twenties and say, you did the best you could. Yeah. You were really working hard to keep me safe. Thank you. Yes. Perfect segue to addiction. I feel like the pandemic amplified what already was mommy wine culture and me included, like I was drinking way too much. Um, I'm actually sober curious, which I found out was a word, which I know is probably going to kill my brand, but, um, I am cognizant of why I'm drinking now. And I feel like when I'm reaching for a glass of wine or something, it's like, what are you missing? What are you trying to get from that, from having a glass of wine and not just drink? I just feel like the pandemic got out of control and addiction gives us a false sense of safety that I learned from you. I don't write that down. Um, but you can come out of it by addressing whatever is making you not feel safe. Like you, you're reaching for a glass of wine or you're whatever it's binge eating. Like I talked to people about that. You're trying to, you're trying to numb it out. You're yes. trying to, to use something to anesthetize that suffering. But what I want to say to you is if you're mm -hmm. sober curious, but you're I worried am. it's going to kill your brand, get the it will. fuck <laughs> over that right now. No, it won't. Squats what it'll do is squats it'll, virgin mercury. <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll elevate your brand because it'll say, you know what? I've noticed a pivot and I want to, I want to support you. Seriously. Have you read this naked mind or do you know, Annie Grace, mm -mm. Uh, she, this naked mind was like her. I'm actually interviewing her next month. She's like, it's not going to be hard to like to just say you're not drinking because it's just the, getting the other side of your mind to recognize what it is. And then you can stop immediately. And it's like this foolproof process where I'm like on the last chapter and I'm kind of like, I'm definitely, I would like to be sober. And I feel like at some point, and I see all the benefits of it that I had that noise in the back of my mind. I'm like, no, you're cause I drink in moderation. Um, and my whole thing was like, when I was restricting and saying like, no drinking during the week. Then you go on a bender on the weekend because it's your drinking day. And I just, I promote living with balance. If you want to have a glass of wine, have a glass of wine. Don't have three. Um, don't save up your drinking days for the weekend and be hungover. It's just like living in moderation, work out, have your cocktails, stop restricting, stop obsessing. And I finally found like my best physical body that I was trying to achieve by restricting no alcohol, because at some point you you give up. You're like, well, this is bullshit. It's too hard. And then you go off the rails. If you allow it, if you know, you can have a glass of wine, it makes it kind of like less tempting. So that was like my whole platform, but I, above anything, I want it to be authentically sharing who I am and having other people see themselves in me. And if I am sober curious, I should definitely be sharing that. Yeah. To me, a hundred percent. And the definition of addiction is that you're powerless over the substance or even the bulimia or whatever it might be. Yeah. And that your life has become unmanageable. So unmanageability, I'm take, I'm going on benders in the weekends and I can't wake up for my kid. Or powerlessness, I can't stop. Right. Like even if it's moderated, I don't want I I can't go to a party without picking up a drink. Yeah. So to really check in with yourself and and you're laughing and that's a sign and that's beautiful. You're right. <laughs> and and so even if you're not like drinking all day every day with a bottle in your bed, you can be a functioning alcoholic and there's no shame in that title. I've been sober from alcohol and cocaine for 16 years, gave me life. And yeah. it's, it's the best thing I've ever done for myself. So you're sober curious right now. Fuck your brand. Like don't even worry about that. <laughs> I mean, go back to happy days and look at that as it relates to your relationship too. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Happy days is a really great book for, for healing relationships, healing 
relationship to your children, most importantly here on laying your relationship to yourself. So it's it's beautiful. You're you're very subtly admitting powerlessness and unmanageability right here live yeah. in a very public forum. And I'm proud yeah. of you. That's beautiful. Thank you. And you know that there's a desire and that willingness is all you need to say and just keep waking up and saying, yes, I'm willing. Mm-hmm. And see what happens, see what unfolds for you. On the topic of being vulnerable, like what you shared in Nashville about loss, that's another thing that I feel like if there's a woman listening to this podcast that is still struggling with loss, miscarriage, how you explained what that did for you, that pregnancy did for you, if you wouldn't mind sharing and how you see it now was like the most beautiful, profound way to look at anything like that. And I just, I'm thinking of specific people in my life right now that would benefit from hearing about that. If you're comfortable. Of course. Well, we all started 2020 with a lot of hopes and dreams, Mm. then went into March of 2020 with a lot of intentions to try to stay safe. Mm -hmm. And we all went through so much in the last two years, whether it's addiction coming up or personal things or COVID or loss from COVID, whatever it might be. For me, I started the year in 2020 really, you know, in in Australia, giving these talks and then the pandemic happened and I said, okay, you know what? I'm not traveling. This is the perfect time for me to settle down and just do IVF and and try to conceive a second child. Mm -hmm. So for the whole year I was doing in, in vitro treatment, nine treatments only to get one healthy embryo. Yeah. And I tested the embryo and he was well. And I was pregnant for five and a half months with that baby. And the pregnancy, unfortunately, the 20 week scan was not working. He wasn't growing. He was in a lot of trouble. So I had to not even make the decision. I had no choice, but Mm -hmm. to have a DNA and let him go. And that was one of the most difficult moments of my life, but it was also one of the most profound moments of freedom because Mm -hmm. I was able to witness in the moment that I was living this, that everything I'd been practicing for decades was right there for me, was there to hold me like a pillow, was a faith. It was right there. Faith saying to me, this is a step in a different direction. This is a detour in the right direction A faith saying to me, this soul came to experience what it was like to be loved by you for five and a half months A faith saying to me, let go and let God show you what's next. Beautiful. And I can say that you're, you know, it's easy to say like, oh, manifest miracles and be a spiritual person when everything's good. Yeah. But when the shit hits the fan, when you lose a baby and you're able to sit in the seat of faith, that's a really sure sign that you've developed a very, very powerful internal condition that is grounded in purpose, that's grounded in grace, that's grounded in trust, Mm -hmm. that's grounded in a spiritual connection. It's so beautiful. I know the people that will listen to this need to receive that people that are new to spirituality, which I kind of am. Like when I realized I was speaking at that thing, I started 
trying to be more open. And I saw that you post something recently about, um, stop blocking your manifestations. Like it's not going to be on your timing. And it's like, if it's not happening fast enough, it's like, this doesn't work. I wanted you to speak on that. And then also about if somebody's skeptical, like, do you have to be completely willing to receive for in order to manifest miracles? Yeah. Yeah. When we're skeptical, we block, we block our vision. If you're like, okay, I want to manifest a relationship, but you're so skeptical. Mm -hmm. Then that guy in your office that is so funny, like wouldn't even be crossing your mind as potential because you're so shut down Mm -hmm. or you literally are mad all the time because you're not stating anybody. So your energy is blocking people from noticing you. Mm -hmm. So the secret to manifesting is to forget what you think you need. Focus on feeling good, be patient, receptive, allowing, and just continue to fine tune your inner state of joy. Exactly. What would you say is like the first step to if somebody wanted to be more spiritual or connect to their higher self? Like, where do you start with that? Go read my book. The universe has your back. Mm -hmm. That's how to start. Okay, perfect. (laughs) And it's so true about like when you just start noticing and looking for things or are open to things happening, it's so crazy. I mean, it's like immediate. I was like talking to somebody, I was a guest on a podcast and the guy said something about running and I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get a run in after this. And he's like, AirPods or no AirPods. And I was like, AirPods, like I can't just run with nothing. And he's like, I started running without AirPods. And I'm like, he's supposed to tell me that today. Like I was supposed to receive that. So right after I was right. like, I'll try right. it, but I'm like, it's going to be bored. I'm gonna have to come back. Right. Like, I couldn't get home fast enough. The amount of things that came to me and I was like, I don't have my phone because I'm not running with music. And I had to write down so much came to my mind that I guess I was missing listening to music, not being right. Open. I mean, and I know he was supposed to tell me just, we weren't even talking about running. He's like, AirPods or no AirPods. And I was like, oh, all right. Here we right. Go. What you're saying is so cool because you were meant to hear him say that. So yeah. you were, you manifested that information and then it opened you up to hear more. And then that's how you manifest more. So the more we become willing to open up our conscious awareness to ideas beyond our logic and reason, the more we manifest into our life. It's it. I'm proof of it. And, and I'm not even skeptical. I was just like, ah, I don't know. And then I had a spiritual psychology mentor on and I was like, I can't meditate because all my thoughts, there's too much. I can't shut my brain off. I have two kids. And she's like, thoughts are going to come. She's like, that's such a misconception. She's like, thoughts come. And that's kind of where you need to like, if that thought keeps coming, it's like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I should look at that because it comes every time. She's like, it's not about totally blinding out every like thought thoughts are going to come. So I was like, I just didn't, I, I was uninformed. It wasn't that I was skeptical. I just didn't realize like, how easy it is to just open yourself up to it. And there's just been so many things that I feel like were there before I, I missed. I didn't see. Right. That's exactly right. So the, the, all the information and guidance you need is available to you. We just block it. Yeah. So when you start to open up your mind and you start to read a book like Happy Days and do the work, you chip away at the blocks and that starts mm-hmm. to open you up to receive what you need. And just, I guess, selfishly. And for anybody else, it's like an entrepreneur. Um, the quote that you said in Nashville, like somebody was saying something like, I just, I'm working, I'm working. I never grow social media. I have the same, um, frustrations. And when I get there, I'll be fine when I get there. And you said when there's a there to get to, it's never going to be enough. 
can you email that one to me? Yes. <laughs> I'll just email that to myself. Like, when there's you were like, that is this book. Like, and it's so true. It's like, you do something and it's like the next thing. Okay. I got that. Like I get, I interviewed Gabby Bernstein, like where now, why can't I just be present and be like, this is the coolest thing ever. Because it's like, you feel like you have to keep, you never take the time to like, see where you are and like acknowledge and enjoy that because it's just the next thing. And you said, when you're speaking in Nashville, you're like, you you used to feel that way, but now it's just like, you don't need it. You don't need to keep growing. It's like, you're there, you made it. You don't, you're not looking for a there to get to. So like, that's why you're successful. Yeah. There's no other, like, you're not trying to climb anywhere else. There's no there. Yeah. <laughs> I think that when you're trying to get there, you're not focused on being here. Yeah. Being here is how we grow. Being here, facing into what's present in this moment, what we can enjoy in this moment, what we can create in this moment is what life is. Yeah. But we all live so future tripping or digging up the past because of trauma, mm. big T or small T. Yep. And when, and in my book, Happy Days, I talk about how Peter Levine says that trauma is the inability to be present. Yeah. And so that future tripping is clear sign that there's something to heal. Yes. Because you're it's like, I don't want to live here. I got to get away from this and think. And about I'm not good enough unless I have, or yes. I'm there, or I am. Yes. We have to do our part to undo that pattern. And that's why I wrote that book, because I want to help people know that there's a way out of that cycle of the hamster wheel and that there is freedom and inner peace on the other side. And I can really testify to that. Absolutely. Um, I am beyond grateful that you said yes to me. This is going to legitimize my podcast beyond what I could ever imagine. How can I support you? Go inquire more about your potential addictive patterns. Well, you're not potential. You're, you're straightforward upfront yeah. in, in our face, <laughs> addictive patterns. Yeah. Maybe yeah. consider looking into a book like Spirit Junkie, my book, Spirit Junkie on addiction. Mm -hmm. Whatever resonates with you and stay very open and receptive and willing and pray daily for guidance on how to get sober because that's how you help me. Because my mission is to help awaken the masses, but I can't do that alone. Yeah, I need a lot of partners in that mission. And so if there are people are gonna show up for that mission with me, they have to keep raising their hand and saying, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to do the work. You've done that. You continue to do that. This is the next level for you. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas.
This month, KYW News Radio and Deborah Heart and Lung Center discuss peripheral artery disease, or PAD. Learn the signs and symptoms of PAD, then interventions available. Here's Rasa K. PAD is much less common in the arms. Cholesterol plaques squeezing blood flow to arms and fingers cause pain and slow wound healing and pins and needle sensations, just as they do to the legs. But interventional cardiologist Dr. Richard Kovach says about a third of all PAD patients have no symptoms. A routine check at your pharmacy or on a home device could be a tip-off. A lot of times patients may not have symptoms at all, but will say, gee whiz, blood pressure in my right arm is much higher than the blood pressure in my left arm. If there's a difference in blood pressure in the two arms, the pressure should be the same. So that may be a clue that there's impairment of blood flow if the blood pressure in the arms is different, substantially lower on one side than the other. Learn more at DeborahHealthReport.com. New Jersey's only heart, lung, and vascular specialty hospital, Deborah Heart and Lung Center. When it's your heart, demand Deborah.